sharing wisdom and speaking truth, this is the IPHC Leadership Cast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the IPHC Leadership Cast. I'm Garrett Magby and today I am sitting here with Dr. Harold Hunter of the IPHC Archives and Research Center. Dr. Hunter, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Garrett. Good to be with you. Good to, be, good to have you on the, uh, the program. We've been looking forward to this uh, interview, and, and I'm glad that it worked out to where we could, uh, we could get this set up. Um, uh, let me go ahead and ask you, I just want to start out. Um, you've been involved in uh, being the editor of a, a magazine named Reconciliation for the VIPHC. Um, let me ask you this, starting out, what brought you to a point in your life where you um, wanted to become involved with the Ministry of Reconciliation and, and everything that goes along with that? Well, thank you, Garrett. The magazine that I have called Reconciliation was for PCCNA, Pentecostal Churches of North America, which in and of itself is an organization birthed out of a vision of reconciliation driven by none other than Bishop B.E. Underwood, okay. who was a general superintendent of IPHC and the man who brought me to Oklahoma City. I have in my hand an album that my wife and I did some years ago. Um, in the early part of my life, I was very musically involved. I used to play a trumpet, I used to sing on radio and television. Yes. It's a very big part of our life. But since I've been out here in Oklahoma, I got some blood clots that went to my lungs and I exhaled part of my lungs. Wow. And I no longer have resonance in my voice, I no longer can sing. Uh, preaching is a bit of a challenge for me. Gotcha. But uh, God has been merciful and I'm grateful that you know, I'm still able to travel to wherever I'm called. And, Absolutely. I'm great, grateful for those opportunities. But what I would like to tell about is to reach back out of my diary, which I've kept since I was 14 years old. So that's, oh, wow. that's, that's awesome. a literal statement. This is not metaphorical. It's, uh, since you were 14, you've been, you've been keeping Kept a, a, diary. a diary. That's yes, amazing. since I was 14 years old. That's awesome. And in my high school years, I was kind of looking more toward what I was going to do in music. I played a little bit at in uh, sports like football and things like that, right. involved in weightlifting, and I had a lot of ambitions and visions and all of that. But I was in a little small town in Pierre, South Dakota. That's where I lived in my high school year. Okay. And we were having a revival. This small church, less than 100 people were there. So we had a visiting evangelist, but I was in my usual spot. I was up on the stage playing my trumpet, keeping the music going while people we're praying at the altar. Right. You know, in, in my generation, there wasn't a clock set for how much time you spent at the altar. Yeah, yeah. You were invited at the altar, and you stayed there until you were finished. And I, I've gone to some liturgies around the world that will go to 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and they ask me, is that unusual? And I said, look, when I went to church at 7 o'clock, I didn't know if I was going to get home till the next day at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> You know, some services yeah. didn't last long, some did. Yeah, yeah. We just never knew how long they were going to last. So it was a typical kind of revival service. It was very fluid. I was up on the stage playing my trumpet. And there was a Native American woman who was visiting. I had never met her before. I knew distant members of her family. I didn't know her personally. Right, right. But a good, solid Pentecostal woman from South Dakota. She came up and took me from where I was sitting, physically picked me up, not literally picked me up, metaphorically picked me up, took me to the pulpit and put a Bible in front of me. Oh, wow. And I'm trying to 
understand what's going on. What does this mean? What's Oh, yeah. It's, it would be an unusual set of circumstances that just Nothing happened. Nothing like that had ever happened to me. Yeah. Then the next thing I know, there's a visiting minister because we have a revival. We have a variety of visitors and such. Never met him before. Who prophesied that I was being called into the ministry, that I'd travel around the world, and that I would have influence beyond imagination. Yeah. yeah. And as a high school senior... It just seemed kind of far-fetched to me, and I thought, okay, that was a prophecy. Interesting. I opened the Bible in front of me at random, yeah. and I look on one side of the page. There's the artist's conception of Jesus as a child speaking to his elders in the, in the temple. And I thought, you know, I didn't have any confidence in myself and my speech abilities, certainly not before major figures and so on. And I looked across the page of that Bible, and my eyes fell on Luke chapter 12. And the words were, whenever they bring you before the magistrates, the powers, the lawyers, whatever, take no thought what you shall say, for in that same self-hour the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Wow. That has been my banner through all these years. I have felt my understanding of that calling into ministry was that I must go wherever I'm called to go, whether I'm comfortable or not, right. whether I feel this is something that I like or I don't like. But if I'm called there, if I'm sent there, and in that same self-hour, I can testify that the Holy Spirit has enabled me to be able to comprehend and respond in ways that I hope in some way or the other brings glory to God. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it was it was in that moment in high school yes. that you, you had that realization that I guess that revelation that prophecy that was spoken over you did you at any point ever uh, I'm sure at that point you said it was kind of unbelievable you didn't know how to take it but did you ever question it truly to the point where you thought well it was just kind of part of the service or did you know like throughout your entire life this is exactly this is exactly what I'm supposed to do this is what I'm called to do I've got to I've got to approach every situation with this in mind it changed the trajectory of my life. I, I had this idea about what I was going to do in music and mm -hmm. how important that was. I had won awards and, and all of that. Of course, it was, South Dakota is a small state, not a lot of competition, but <laughs> in that area, you know, I was doing okay. Yeah. So it changed my trajectory. And then as I went on to college and started studying scripture, mm -hmm. uh, because one of the things that drove me to work with archives is that when I started my graduate studies in Fuller in the 1970s, I heard all these things about us. You're ahistorical, you're preliterate, mm -hmm. you're apolitical. And I said, uh, no, I don't know anybody that read the Bible more than my father. Right. I, I know that when I went to the funeral for Bishop Underwood, there were several Bibles that he had worn out. Yeah. It wasn't a matter that he wore out one Bible, he wore out several Bibles. And he was a man that read a lot. He was a man who published books. So I started, I started saying, you know, I've looked at the literature that the church has put out, and IPHC is a, a great example of that. In their early years, they put out these wonderful magazines, mm -hmm. these papers, detailed, thoughtful, engaging, not just testimonies. And so I, I, I latched on then to the notion that I need to be able to rescue these original sources, which I've tried to do with IPHC, 
and then make them available to try to, to get a true story of us. But then as I reflected on that in my undergraduate years, I again went back to the way I was raised. We took Matthew chapter 18 very literally. The whole notion about if you have ought against your brother or sister, go to them and be reconciled. Yes. Yeah. We had face-to-face -face meetings that were very uncomfortable. But one of the other things in, in my generation that I thought illustrated that pretty well was that we used to have feet washing. Yeah. And I always thought that feet washing can make you uncomfortable in a lot of different ways. But it's a, it's a moment of reconciliation between parties that sometimes having a hard time finding their way forward. Yes, absolutely. So when you have that tangible sort of real life application of Matthew 18, then for me that started to mean that when I was going to a Pentecostal college, I started then visiting other churches. I had heard all these things, I'd heard all these things told about what they believed and what they were doing, and I just wanted to see what they said, what they actually said, mm -hmm. how they represented themselves. So that's when I began to test that idea, and then that set me on a path that's taken me to places that I never would have imagined. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and it sounds like, uh, you know, especially during your college experience, um, you had opportunities, you had uh, situations that came up that allowed you to explore that, that side of life and, and go forward or go into those situations with that uh, concept of reconciling with others, making sure that, that you are, uh, you know, at least going to your brother or your sister and, and, and talking to them about whatever the situation may be, making sure that you're okay with each other and you're right so that there is no animosity or there is no, uh, you know, roots of bitterness in anybody or any situation. Um, I think it's wonderful. And, and the foot washing that you mentioned um, is something that's near and dear to my heart as well. My wife and I did that as part of our, you know, a lot of people do unity services in their, in their weddings um, with either sand or, or a, a flame or something like that. We actually did a foot washing service for mm. that portion. And uh, for us, it was a way to, um, uh, one, represent our service or our dedication or our, our commitment to serving one another in our, our marriage, but also uh, to, to reconcile any, any doubt that might be had in a, in a new marriage, you know, to reconcile the fact that, hey, we're, we're making a covenant with one another to serve. Um, and that's what we're going into. So I like the fact that, that that's been a, a part of your story all the way through because I think it's such an important aspect of, of Jesus' life that if implemented in our lives can be so powerful. Um, so tell me this. Uh, we, have, we have talked a little bit about um, how you came to this place to start getting involved in archives, and, and you, you said you had a desire to record uh, especially these early these early documents and these papers to make sure that the history of the denomination um, uh, stays with us. Um, what is some of the what are some of the um, greatest uh, I guess you would say triumphs um, or things that you've been able to rescue or bring back into the archives department that that uh, you're most proud of you would say or things that stand out in your mind as some of the things that I know there's quite a few I'm sure so uh, just some things that that people might not realize have been um, kept through the years directly because of, of the archives department and, and, and uh, what they provide. A lot of people don't realize that George G.F. Taylor was the first archivist of the church. He was appointed in 1921. So not at this general conference, but at the next one, we'll be celebrating our centennial. Yes. 
he set, set this department on a good footing. He wrote a lot of editorials in the Pentecostal Holiness Advocates that set it in the right direction. But there were lapses through the years. There were different people that brought it back and forward. I thought that out here in Oklahoma City that Margaret Muse did a wonderful job with the archives. I thought the material that she collected and the things that were brought together were good. When Brother Underwood brought me here in 1995, at that stage uh, the collection had been neglected. Some of the materials were missing that had actually been present. Really? And what I realized was that out of the first 20 years, some of the best literature the church had put forward, that there were no originals of any of those periodicals anywhere in this collection. Oh, wow. So um, I don't know how many thousands of miles I've driven all throughout the United States, primarily in the southeast, but you'd be surprised where you find some things. That, that, yeah. uh, but I've gone into dirty places. I've gone into filthy places. <laughs> I've gone where there have been um, creatures that, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't seek out as a, as a, a fellow traveler. Right, right. And uh, because I, I came here in a sedan, so I had to switch over to an SUV because I would come up with these boxes that had all these creatures and spider webs and dirt and things in them, and I'd have to bring them out here and decontaminate them. Yeah. But the... The, uh, as a result of that investigation, uh, we're working now trying to come up with an exact figure, but my estimation is that I've found 80% of what I'm looking for. Wow, that's amazing. Now, I, I'm obsessed with what I don't have. <laughs> yeah. And I need the literature myself as well as many other uh, scholars because we have people from around the world that contact us. Yes. We have uh, people here at the GMC that come to us, people inside IPHC, outside IPHC, in the United States, from around the world. They don't come to us so much in person anymore mm -hmm. because of the digital age. Everybody expects to be able to send us an email that we can scan things for them and send it to them. And that was one of the things that I innovated when I came here because I was the first Pentecostal archives to start scanning things. And I used to do it myself. Oh, yeah. So I learned all of that, how to run a scanner and do the PDF and put them online and, and do the OCRing and all of that sort of thing. I don't know how to do it now, but I used to know how to do it. And then we were the first to do that and put out CDs and all that sort of thing. Now, others have are surpassed us uh, because they have a million-dollar budget, and, <laughs> yeah. and I don't. But we have the most critical documents that the church has put out, their publications and their minutes and their manuals and all that. All of those are electronic oh, and are available. And I feel that that's something positive that we've done on behalf of the church. It, it absolutely is. And, and you mentioned the... Uh, the um uh, the Advocate, which was the early, uh, I believe it was the first, was it the first This official? is the centennial of the Advocate. The Pentecostal Holiness yeah. Advocate started in 1970. 1970. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And and it lasted up until, um, when was the last, do you know off the top of your head, the last uh, publication of it? The Advocate went through to 96. To 96. That's amazing. But you have, you know, well before then, you have Lycos of Fire, you have Holiness Advocate, mm -hmm. you have Live Coals, you have Apostolic Evangel, Bridegroom Messenger, actually, which is a hugely important paper for Pentecostal, started as a PH paper, PH minister started. Really? G.B. Cashwell. And then so it, all of those, PH had a significant impact in, yeah. in publishing what was going on in the early days. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you said you have uh, estimated 
almost 80% of what you're looking for, but there's still a 20% out there that, that uh, you said you're kind of obsessed with what you don't have, you're looking for. What, just to let everybody know who's listening, if somebody does have something that they feel would be of value uh, to the archives department, what would be the best way to get in touch with you all to contact uh, the department to let you know, hey, I might have something that would be of interest, historical value, that sort of thing? Well, of course, we want them to contact us. We never want them to throw anything away. Right, right. We always want them to get in touch with us. If I can't physically go there, then um, sometimes they, folks are kind enough to ship things to us. Mm-hmm. Or if they're in a conference that has a conference archivist, the conference archivist might go on behalf and try to sort through some of the materials. I've had that happen in a variety of conferences because we have a good re- working relationship with the conferences in, in that respect. Gotcha. But the, the, the golden rule is never throw anything away because my, my worst archive story related to IPHC is that when I came here, I couldn't find a lot of material about Bishop Muse. Yes. Yeah. And I was very disappointed about that because he was the only presiding bishop out of the West and mm-hmm. was a major figure. You know, I've read some of what he wrote. He had beautiful writing style, you know, and uh, I've tried to revive the contribution that he's made. I think he's an important figure. But a lot of his material was lost, and so I, I contacted a member of his family, and I said, I've looked here, I've gone to Oral Roberts University archives because I know the relationship that Dr. Harold Paul had with Dr. Muse, with Bishop Muse, was very strong, and that he took in a lot of his material because he wrote a, a book about him. And I right. said, so where are these things that I can't find? And they said, oh, we burned them. Oh, no. They had burned, they had burned them? They had burned what I was looking for. Oh, no. That, so... God save us. Anything short of burning, yes. just give us a chance. Let us look at it. Let us tell you what it's worth. Okay. And would, would uh, contacting, I guess, by, by uh, the website would be the best, the best uh, option? That's the easiest thing for people to remember, easiest to thing. just go to the IPHC website okay. and look for the section about the Archives and Research Center. Archives and Research, I believe. And I, I think the, the URL would be IPHC.org slash archives. Yes. Uh, forward slash archives. And then there's a contact form on there, so they could yes. fill out the contact form and get in touch with you that way. Um, that would be that'd be wonderful if anybody is out there that has something that you think of, even a, an ounce that you think would be uh, of value to the, the archives. Contact them, let them know, and they'll be more than happy to to uh, hear you out at least, see what see what it is that you uh, you think you have. And um, now I do want to talk real quickly, briefly, and we're running out of time, and I, I uh, hate to stop the talk here. There's too much to cover. Um, recently wrote a, an article, a great article on the GSO uh, website on the IPHC.org um, uh, website. Tell me a little bit more about that article. Tell us what it was about and, and uh, kind of give us a brief overview of that, if you would, quickly. Um, I wrote an article about the uh, conversations between Pentecostals and Orthodox. Yes. In the year 2009, I read a book by the Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew called Encountering the Mystery. And I've had Orthodox friends, especially since I put together the first global conference on Pentecostals known as Brighton 91. We had Orthodox participation, and I've met Orthodox from around the world. And I was aware I've been in a lot of the hot countries like Russia and Greece and Romania and other places where the tensions were significant between Pentecostals and Orthodox. But I read that by His All Holiness, and I was captivated by it. I read through that, and said that there was 70-some-odd percent of the book that I could affirm as a Pentecostal. And so uh, I would hope that at the unction of the Spirit that I was prompted to go 
and meet him personally. And there is a technology twist to this story that I can't reveal, but it involves <laughs> a Facebook chat that someday will be revealed in the future when it's not so sensitive. When it's not so sensitive. That made uh, a connection for me. I had to pay my own expenses, but I got there, and I had a private audience with the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew in wow. Constantinople. The result of that, he asked me to submit a proposal to the Holy Synod that we start conversations. And I said, yes, I'd be happy to do that but I wanted a covering from the Pentecostal World Fellowship. So I wrote to the Pentecostal World Fellowship, and the leader of the church at the, of the group at that time, the chairman was Dr. Prince Kudaratnam in Malaysia. Okay. He wrote a cover letter saying that he was endorsing what I was doing. It's the first and only time that a letter like that has been issued by the Pentecostal World Fellowship. So we began discussions back and forth, and those went on for a few years. But through a variety of things that are too complicated for this kind of setting, we're only now being able to restart those conversations. I've been back in touch, I've stayed in touch with the Ecumenical Patriarch through all these years. I've gone there for Pascha, which is their name for Easter. Yes. And I took Bishop Beecham and his wife with me and we got, had a private audience with His All Holiness. We went to one of those services that goes till 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> we stayed there through the service and then we got up and took a boat ride the next morning at six, six o'clock and went to the island of Hauke. Yeah. not too far out of uh, Constantinople, okay. where the bishop got to read scripture in one of their services. He and I were put up with the clergy. We were acknowledged by the Metropolitan, and he was able to read. He has that scripture reading in his office to this day, Bishop Beecham does. That's it was a special moment for him and, and all of us. Oh yeah. So I've kept those connections going, and only recently have we been able to reignite these discussions, so they'll be going again later this year in Boston. That's amazing. That's amazing. And if you haven't had a chance to to read the article, you can go to iphc.org uh, forward slash gso, and it's it's one of the top news stories right now on our uh, on our webpage. But a great article, must read, um, and kind of gives a, a, a that same type of overview and, and a few other things um, that are just wonderful. So it's a, it's an awesome thing to be able to reignite those conversations, reignite that connection, and. Um, Dr. Hunter, I want to thank you so much for being on the program. We're out of time, unfortunately, but uh, it's been an honor and a, a privilege to be able to talk with you today and, and appreciate you sharing with, with everybody who's listening to the program. Thank you, Garrett. I appreciate an opportunity to be able to share my heart and vision with our listeners. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IPHC Leadership Cast. For more information on the Leadership Cast and other church-related resources, please visit www.iphc.org.